Hello, welcome to Insight, your local guide to DLR services. My name is Cahill and on today's episode we'll be talking about active travel. Dunleary Ratdown County Council strive to be a climate first decision maker and so active travel is a massive priority for us. But do you know what active travel really is? Do you know how many schools we linked through active travel infrastructure since 2020? Would you like to know how many people use our coastal mobility route each year? Stay tuned to find out. On today's episode, I'll be chatting to my colleague, Connor, who is the expert on all things active travel in the council about the establishment and growth of this new initiative, as we discuss some of the past, present and future projects Connor and his team are involved in. So Connor, thanks very much for joining me today. Before we jump into the, the main topic of the, the conversation, we'll just get a bit of background to yourself. What's your own primary role in the council? Yeah, so I'm senior engineer for active travel in DLR. So my main role is to deliver the walking and cycling infrastructure in the county. That's my primary purpose. Okay. And how long have you worked for the, the council, Connor? I'm coming up on 15 years now in January. Um, so I'm here quite a while and I suppose started in the traffic section, moved to infrastructure and climate change and have been on site and on various different projects down through the years and moved into active travel sort of midway through 2020 um, as part of the response to COVID. So active travel hasn't been here the full 15 years that you've been in the council anyway. I'd say you've seen some changes in your time here. Yeah, historically or traditionally, uh, the walking and cycling infrastructure sat within the traffic section, I suppose, but with changing policies nationally and locally and the increase in finance available, uh, each local authority in the country is getting a dedicated active travel team. So the, the active travel section within DLR is only in place since March 2021. So it's quite a new section, but obviously a lot of the people that are involved have been in local authority doing this type of work far longer than that. And everybody, people like yourself who've been moved within the council with huge amounts of experience and particularly having a bit of a background in the, the travel and transport side of the, the county, like you being out on site, you probably know that the county likes to back your hand at this stage, would you? Yeah, it's it's ironic, really. I know the county very well, but once you leave the boundary, I, I have very little knowledge of anything else. Um, so it's you're lost yeah, no, as soon as you cross the border. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's quite funny <laughs> yeah. actually. That I, it's literally once you you leave the that the red line, I, I don't know where I am. <laughs> Straight onto Google Maps to figure out where you're going. Exactly, exactly. And active travel, you've mentioned it a couple of times. It's really common now, particularly since the the start of COVID. It really picked up a lot of momentum there was a snowball effect with it what exactly is meant by active travel connor i suppose active travel is where you you carry out your journeys on the public road infrastructure using your own energy essentially so that'd be walking scooting wheeling cycling are the kind of main modes when it comes to active travel okay it, it would be considered sustainable travel but not you know public transport like buses and um, the Dart or the Lewis, it would be very much getting there using your own energy, I think is a distinction that's used to, to describe it. That was something that jumped out at me. Active travel, initially when I heard it in 2020, I thought it would have involved, I knew it would have involved climate conscious travel. I thought it would have encompassed electric vehicles and things as well. But that big, like you say, the big distinction is using your own energy to travel. So bikes, skate, walk, run, seems to be the the big differentiating factor so it's no public transport either unless it's pedal powered public transport but i don't think we've any of that around the county yet and it's mostly looking at am i right in saying that it in our county anyway it started off as active school travel yes yeah, so active school travel was one of the projects that we had 
and, and I suppose the distinction from active travel generally was it was very much focused around providing quick build solutions to help kids get to school. And this was kind of this project started mid 2020 when we were just in the height of lockdown and we were considering, you know, the mm. lockdown was looking like it was going to end. Kids were going back to school. Public transport was, you know, significantly reduced capacity. Same with the DART. So what, where we were concerned was that if there was no options for people, everybody would be consigned to the car. And obviously the knock-on impact on the on the road network that that would have, it would obviously impact journey times. So active school travel was a scheme that we, we developed to try and provide as much new infrastructure as quickly as possible to link in with as many schools in the county as we could to give people that alternative option when they were going back to school. And I think that's that's what's his main focus. And it was it was around giving the options that weren't going to be there as sort of September, October 2020. And that was a, a county-wide initiative, was it? Active school travel. It wasn't just for one or two schools in particular. Yeah, so like it was based on the, the DLR and the GDA cycle networks that we have in place already. So they're strategic planning documents that have been in place for more than 10 years um oh, wow. so the the idea with those initiatives was you know they were the kind of the gold standard of where you would want cycle facilities in the county so what we did was we looked re-looked at the network but but identified all the areas that had existing infrastructure and we tried to knit together three routes across the county to connect as many schools as possible so the i suppose the, the idea of quick build and, and quick delivery was the a key focus of that particular so it was like an, a different type of way of looking at network planning so the three routes were, were named sea to mountains mountains to metals and park to park and they connected their but in three the three of them together combined to be a little bit over 20 kilometers and they combined 65 schools in the county so the the important oh, wow the the important piece about that was that it, it needed very little new infrastructure so you know with by delivering one or two kilometers of new pieces of infrastructure we could connect all of those schools so it was more like a kind of a quick build network to try and bring as many different routes together as we could uh, to give people those options and that's a massive number of schools with quite a short distance of infrastructure 65 schools linked up so those three main routes, they almost span, they, they cover the vast majority of, and they're available online, aren't they, to see that on the, the map? They cover the map, vast majority of the, the county of Dealor, don't they? They do, yeah. So there's there's a north-south, and then there's two east-west routes. Between the three of them, they give options to the vast majority of people in the county. You're ideally never too far from one of them anyway, at this point. Yeah. And yeah. you've touched on it a couple of times now, COVID-19, when it landed in Ireland, it gave us a great opportunity to encourage people for active travel, particularly when we were stuck in those two and 5k limits and there wasn't the, the same cycling infrastructure that there is now. One thing that really garnered a lot of attention for us during that phase was the coastal mobility route, which a lot of people will be aware of. For those who aren't, what can you tell me about it? Is that part of one of those three routes? Where does it span to and from? Yeah, so it, it's it's not part of the three routes, but obviously it, it links to the three routes, so it complements it and, and creates this network effect in the county. Mm-hmm. So the, the coastal mobility route, it runs parallel to the Dart line and starts at the 40 foot and runs all the way to Black Rock. So it links the, the five coastal villages of, of Dawkey, Glasthool, Dunleary, Monkstown and Black Rock. 
And at the time, similar to active school travel, there was a lack of mobility options for people in the county with the reduced capacity. And we shouldn't forget as well, people were, were afraid to get public transport and there was health concerns. Yeah. And, you know, even though the capacity was available and the services were running, not everybody wanted to, to go on public transport. So the idea behind the route was to try and connect the coastal villages um, and to give people that option. So it was designed in-house by our own team over a very, very short period of time, about three or four weeks. And then it was built using quite innovative solutions at the time. So traditionally, cycle tracks were built with sort of concrete curbs and tar. This was done using bolt yeah. facilities and the space was available by making the road one way. So we, we built the route, which is four and a half kilometers. And of the four and a half kilometers, 3.6 is fully segregated. So we built the 3.6 fully segregated sections in about five weeks. So that was, it was being deployed at about 140 meters a day, which is obviously incredibly quick. So it, it was in place then in July, at the end of July, 2020. And that allowed those people to, that had been in lockdown or continue to be in lockdown and gave them those options to not only do their normal day-to-day -day work, but also go to, you know, Black Rock Village or go swimming or do all those other issues. So they, within the first year, <clears throat> so straight away, once it was built, and even while it was being built, there was an immediate kind of shift to more sustainable modes of transport. More people were walking, more people were cycling. So within the first yeah. year of, its, of it being in place, uh, we recorded 2 million sustainable walking and cycling trips. So that's a, a phenomenal shift. And maybe if you... If you put that into context, I think I, I looked at it before. It's about fifteen thousand, fifteen or twenty thousand a week. So it would be about, if you think about two or three thousand trips a day into Dunleary or passing Dunleary, what that would mean if everybody was to be in a vehicle. You know, that'd be fifteen kilometres in length of cars. You would need a few thousand parking spaces to be able to accommodate all of those trips. So the idea that these people were now using walking and cycling as their way to get to Dunleary meant that obviously they weren't impacting on the road network, but they were also freeing up space for yeah. those that still had to drive. So it has that, you know, the dual benefit that there will always be a certain percentage of people that can't walk or cycle or take the bus that they have to drive. So obviously if you can encourage people to use the more active travel modes, then that frees up space for those that can't. Wow, and that sheer, number were you expecting an increase like that those sort of figures were they predicted beforehand well it was i suppose we had done before counts pedestrian and cycle counts in advance and it was you know in line with policy and a lot of the kind of theory around active travel if you provide high quality segregated facilities people will move to them and yeah. you know we expected it to be used but i suppose that's it's far beyond what you know, we even thought it might be. I think it's the numbers, the cycling numbers went up fourfold. And during its first year, I think it averaged at about 20,000 cyclists per week. So maybe to give that a bit of context, that the, the Waterford Greenway, which is one of the more popular greenways in the country, its yeah. best week ever, I think, had about 6,500 cyclists on it. So we would average, even in the depths of winter, more cyclists per week than the Greenway on its best week ever. So that's at its peak that's the kind of modal shift and across the even across the dublin area where there's counts in other local authorities as well it performs as one of the most highly used routes that's really impressive you mentioned how quickly it went up and i would have cycled around the area quite a bit and 
I could see it flying up at such a pace and the different design of it as well, rather than having the, the concrete design, just that quick bolt down. But a lot of people will also be familiar with the, the barriers that were used were also brand new. Instead of using standard plastic or bollards, there's a, a very unique barrier to the, the cycle lane going down the, the coastal mobility route, isn't there? There is, and the, the one that's there today is actually the second round of it. Um, so that that one, the kind of rubberized curb is, is called a cycle lane defender. And that was a preferred curb. It was the one we had used in, in Black Rock Village. But at the time when we were trying to roll out the route, we weren't able to get it. So we, we worked with the contractor that we had and we actually did a timber version. So they had they had a crew of people doing it a similar style of curb out of timber. And they went down first. And then they, as they were kind of worn out uh, over about the next year, they were replaced then with the rubberized curb. So the, the benefit really to that very temporary nature is that if there are issues, it's very easy to change. You know, if you needed to add a bit or take a bit away, there's, there's actually nothing to it. It's only a couple of guys for a few minutes to do it. Whereas if you'd have constructed it in concrete and you needed to change something, then obviously that's a much bigger and more destructive way of altering. So that, that was kind of one of the principles of it as well, that we would put it down really, really quickly. And then, you know, if there was issues that arose, we would deal with them in sort of real time. And, and there was lots of little mm. kind of anomalies where, you know, the, the bin truck making a, an unusual maneuver was would need the curb to be slightly longer or slightly shorter. So it was very easy. Like once it's highlighted, you just go out and alter it. And the benefit of that kind of dynamic installation is that if we ever were to make it permanent, you would know exactly what has to go in or what would work when it did go in. So that's the kind of that's the benefit of that kind of quick build type of infrastructure. And having that that modular design where you can just quickly move or replace or add in extra bits has that been carried out to other projects across the the county now since then yeah so we we took that kind of quick build mode of construction and we we did apply it to all of the other village schemes and all the other covid response schemes so even things like parklets where Mm. you replace a parking space with you know a a kind of a, a raised flat area that people can put tables and chairs in so that kind of quick build is has been rolled out to the villages as well where you you reallocate space for tables and chairs and outdoor dining and those sorts of areas like i suppose two years on we've sort of moved back to more traditional construction methods for schemes that we're building but it still is part of the toolkit particularly around you know a trial or testing something that you might not be 100 percent is you know would it work or or how would people react to it so it is it is something that's been added to the kind of infrastructure toolbox since covid really it's a handy one to have in the toolbox. So that that's the, the coastal mobility route and active travel. And there have been other active travel initiatives completed so far. Could you tell us anything about any of them? During 2020, uh, a lot of what we completed, we did Carysford Avenue, Newtown Park Avenue. There were other schemes that were under construction at the time. Black Rock Village, we did the Summer Streets trial, Dawkey Village. Um, so there was, uh, and then outdoor dining as well was part of it. But since... Since then, we've been working on kind of larger schemes. So in during 2021, not a huge amount of construction, but towards the end of our, towards the start of this year, we have three more schemes on site. So Klonsky Road, which is from the county boundary up to UCD is, is on site at the moment. The Rock Road is on site, which is an extension mm-hmm. to the Coastal Mobility Route. And Wyatfell Road, um, that's the section between Churchview Road and Church Road is currently on site. So th- there's a lot, we, we've continued to kind of deliver lots of schemes but i suppose they're, they're maybe not as high profile as the coastal route was that was quite high profile 
in part, I'd say down to it being the, the first of many, and it was the first really big change that we had seen publicly implemented since COVID, and the first answer to the problems that we were facing with people, like you said, people being afraid of getting public transport and people being trapped within their two or five k, or feeling trapped within their two or five k boundaries. And then one of the the core values, moving on a little bit, one of the core values in our corporate plan is to be a climate first decision maker. So that's where a lot of this active travel comes in. We're very climate conscious and climate forward now. There are loads of initiatives that you've mentioned. The coast mobility route being the very first, and it doesn't seem like they'll be stopping anytime soon, especially now that we have an active travel section in the council focused purely on these. And there are lots of upcoming projects, one of which is Dean's Grange. It's a, a heavily congested area in the county at the moment. What exactly is being proposed for the Dean's Grange area, Connor? So the, the Dean's Grange section, so Dean's Grange Road is about 900 metres long and it sits within two of the mm-hmm. active school travel routes. So of, of the 20 kilometres of between the three routes, sort of two thirds of them rely on Dean's Grange for the connection. So um, mountains to okay. metals and park to park, both go travel along Dean's Grange Road. So it was one of the few sections of new cycle facility that required actual infrastructure to to be able to deliver that link dean's grange road at the moment is quite a high volume and you know not an attractive place for people to cycle on at the moment but also if you were trying to encourage less confident or newer people to cycle then that's not the place that you could actually tell them that that's a safe route to go so that's that's why it's such an important link so if you if you look at the park to park route it's about nine kilometers in total and this is the last bit to be delivered so strategically it's important and what was proposed at the time, similar to what was done on the coast route, was to was to put in a one-way system, and that freed up one half of the road and could have been delivered as a quick build cycle, through, similar to the coast route. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where it started. And we had done a series, and, and this is quite a long-winded answer, but I think the context of it is important. So we we had absolutely we had done the public consultation on active school travel as a whole, and people were very very engaged during 2020 in their local areas possibly because they were seeing you know they were they were restricted to within two kilometers so they were spending so much time in their areas that then they felt you know maybe change was needed or they needed better infrastructure or they were trying to do things within two kilometers so we were finding in terms of people engaging in consultations that there was a much newer appreciation for local areas so the active school travel consultation got six and a half thousand submissions so a phenomenal response from people all across the county so within that the majority of people were in favour of proceeding. So towards the end of 2020, we, we recommended that we were going to proceed, which included the one way on Dean's Grange Road. But in in line with the kind of dynamic mm-hmm. approach, we, we committed to engaging with groups all through the process. So for the first quarter of 2021, we were meeting groups locally in the Dean's Grange area and getting feedback. So what we did or what we committed to doing in the early parts of 2021 was to do a modeling, a transport modeling exercise for the area. And within that, we were testing three options. So okay. the one way, an alternative route, which was uh, away from Dean's Grange Road, and another option to use a shuttle system along the road where cars would operate on a kind of give and take method. And the, that process was to see which of those three options was would have been the best option. So kind of mid 2021 then, okay. 
the modeling exercises, it, it showed that the shuttle system couldn't work. It would result in kind of gridlock in the area because cars would get stuck in the shuttle system and that the alternative, more circuitous route wasn't suitable in terms of safety mm-hmm. and for the objectives that we were trying to achieve. So it, that process recommended that the one way was the most appropriate. So we had we concluded in that was maybe July 2021 that we were going to proceed with the one-way system. So then in September, there was threats of legal action and um, various different things uh, about the scheme. And even though we'd indicated we were going to proceed, that the, the opposition locally w- was mounting and there was a lot of negative media attention to the scheme as well. So what we did, we paused the project and we agreed to carry out just a very, very intensive consultation period with the groups locally in Dean's Grange. So between September and December 21, uh, we, we met various groups all around the Dean's Grange area and essentially any option that was put forward, uh, including options that we came up with ourselves, we assessed every option t- uh, to see which could work as an alternative. So in that process, we had we had come up, there was eight different options, uh, one of them including the, the one way. So we, we assessed all eight options against okay. each other using a multi-criteria analysis. And at the end of that process, and, and maybe just to say the kind of concerns that people had about the one way was the, you know, the loss of access for people in cars, the loss of access or the, the impact that might have had on the bus service, you know, the perception that it might be negative for businesses so that there was there was a sort of unanimous feeling locally that they didn't want the, the, the loss of access for vehicles and that the one way was was too much. So we went through the, the process and the, the eight different options and that process concluded that there was a solution that you could use a section of the cemetery in Dean's Grange to provide a segregated facility so that would deliver the mobility options for people that wanted to walk and cycle but it meant that you would you would have to divert a section of the route within the cemetery and um, so the, the recommendation at the, at the end of 21 was to pursue that design to, as the preferred option so from January 22 to August and September 22 we, we had been developing a part eight planning application which is a statutory planning application around the idea of Dean's Grange Road utilizing a section of the cemetery so that's the current proposal that's just the the public consultation on it has just completed so essentially what the project is is segregated cycle facilities from the exit uh, of Clonkeen Park on Kill Lane so once you come out of Kill Lane at the moment there's there's no signalized crossing point so it's proposed to include a signalized crossing point and there's no segregated cycle facilities on Dean's Grange Road so that the scheme is to provide Yep. signalized crossings and segregated cycle facilities on the road up until where the you you get to the cemetery and okay. the reason it can't continue past the cemetery is because the road is too narrow so because it steps out and it's quite a narrow road so at the corner of the cemetery it's proposed to provide a new pedestrian and cycle entrance and that's the one that had been in the local area plan uh, since 2010 and then to utilize the existing path within the cemetery from the sort of south to the north so within the cemetery itself, all that was proposed was the new entrance and public lighting on the existing path. So not not to install a dedicated cycle track or make any area cycle only or, you know, buff surfacing or anything like that. So the only actual works in the cemetery at the moment is to propose to provide the public lighting. And then when the route returns to Dean's Grange Road, that once it passes the cemetery and there's sufficient space again, we would provide segregated two-way cycle infrastructure to complete the, the link on Dean's Grange Road. So that's the current plan. That's just uh, the public consultation element of the Part 8 process is just completed last week or the week before, and we're currently reviewing the submissions. So in short, 
that's a, it it has gone through a huge a really lengthy process like you said this originally came up in 2020 it's been brought out for various reasons throughout and the amount of research that your team at the council have done into this I, you mentioned the the original consultation that went out it got six and a half thousand responses to put that in perspective for any of our listeners generally speaking a consultation from the the council if would get a few hundred responses uh, a thousand would be quite successful six and a half thousand we hadn't seen anything like it before and the amount of like you had said the amount of attention that people had and care they have for their local areas now has just skyrocketed since COVID, since we were all forced to spend more time in our own areas. And one of the, the big important things that seems to come out of it now is with all of the, the research that you've done and all the, the focus group testings, nothing is changing in the, the cemetery other than lighting. Cyclists and anyone engaging in active travel will be diverted away from the more dangerous road where they wouldn't feel they may not feel safe into an onto an existing path and through a through the 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 cemetery at the moment and we're installing lighting which is a good thing because it just makes it safer in the the cemetery as well and i believe the the boundary wall of the cemetery is getting lowered slightly too that'll also make it yeah safer for for people and more visibility as well yeah we had we had one of the concerns that we had about the the route through the cemetery at the time was that it's not passively surveyed you know mm. so for personal security reasons if you were diverting off the public road so one of the one of the proposed solutions to try and improve that situation was to lower the wall so that there would be that passive surveillance into the cemetery and obviously the introduction of the public lighting as well would was another thing to try and improve that passive surveillance and safety for people like obviously it's the route is intended for you know the younger less confident cyclists or new people that might be new to cycling and you know i don't think they're going to be cycling at 4 a.m they'll be using you know the usual time during the day that they'll be cycling but the route has to be of a suitable standard that you couldn't you'd be confident to encourage people to use it and a lot of the the people who do cycle in the area and a lot of people we are expecting to use the infrastructure that you're installing with your team Vast major- or maybe not the vast majority, but a lot of them are school children traveling to and from school. It'll be broad daylight hours. A lot of kids, they're not overly confident on a bike, especially in traffic with the amount of bigger cars that we'd have now. And there are, like you said, buses going through that road. It's a much safer way for them to travel the same distance. And the, the 900 meters long, it's a nine kilometer stretch of the, the route. And just 10% of it has garnered so much attention from ourselves we want to make sure that we're doing this right and to the best of everyone else's care as well and to look after everyone as best we can provide the safest option for people who cycle in the area um nothing is changing in the the cemetery though apart from the the extra gate but some people seem to think that we're now making the the cemetery open 24 hours it's already accessible 24 hours a day isn't it that's correct yeah so it, it's been accessible now for a number of years and you know for people that's maybe i clarify that it's accessible if you're walking and cycling yeah um, it's not accessible if you're if you're driving a vehicle but that use is well established in the cemetery and you know we're not proposing to change that as part of this scheme generally maybe just as an, a point to add that we do a lot of kind of pre-design engagement and other surveys and even the walking and cycling index that was done recently mm-hmm 
they all align quite consistently that says when they this is when they interview uh, members of the public that the consistent theme that comes back all the time is that people want to cycle and they want to walk and they want to be more active but they don't feel safe to do it on the current road network so that's why that's why we're persisting and trying to get segregated yeah. cycling infrastructure because we know if it's not segregated safe and if it's not attractive to people you won't be able to encourage the the younger or less confident people to use it so I suppose that's why this route is is important strategically, but also the design of it is really important that it has to be of a standard that you can you can be confident that people would use it. So if you provide facilities that aren't segregated or safe, people won't use them and it won't it won't be any better than this there at the moment. So I suppose that's why it's it's so important to try and get that quality of route and to close that gap that's on Dean's Grange Road at the moment. And to keep it consistent across the the three routes that you have all of the other routes the, the one of the the main focuses of them is the safety of cyclists we need to uphold that throughout this short stretch as well and this is the this is the best option for it and the number of options that you've gone through the amount of research that you've done it's not a haphazard scheme that has just popped up on a, a sticky note in someone's desk and we've settled on it there's been huge huge amounts of research gone into this project and this yeah. proposal so yeah we've done obviously numbers of sketches traffic modeling mm-hmm. um, as much as we could do for a route and, and probably even more so because we've we've assessed a variety of different options you know i think we're, we're up to 11 different options at this stage in total including the ones that were, were discounted as part of the traffic modeling mm. so within that there are ones that will deliver the infrastructure and obviously there was ones that were discounted for not doing it but I don't think there's a solution out there that we haven't thought of yet, which maybe makes the situation more difficult because there is only so much road space available and you're trying to reallocate it to different uses, but obviously that has an impact. So there is no impact-free option to get a different layout on a road that's this narrow. And it's quite a, a difficult decision to make, trying to figure out which one to, to go with. And it's understandable people being concerned about the, the cemetery itself. It can be understandably a touchy subject people's loved ones are there a lot of people may be afraid that there'll be some interference with graves or the the cemetery itself but that's not the the case at all is it no i mean we're obviously not impacting any of the graves directly or we're not proposing to to change or reallocate any any graves i think it's important to note as well that this isn't our wasn't our first option or it wasn't the preferred option i mean it is it is a compromise in terms of what we thought was the best solution and it, it was the one having listened to what people have, were saying in the area and the concerns that they had about the loss of access if you were using a vehicle the impact on what on the bus service that this was we had moved from our original solution to this solution which obviously has challenges as well but it, it certainly wasn't the first one we picked but it's the one that like that we believe dealt with the majority of people's concerns but obviously with the current consultation there are other concerns that have come forward as well as part of it so it's very as i said already it's very difficult to to deliver a scheme in this area that has no impact on anybody i don't think that's possible so it's it's about trying to balance you know what what the best option is that mitigates as much of the concerns as possible and this is like you've said several times this is the it's about trying to find the best option for the greatest number of people and it's about compromise this is we've exhausted every route and this has been deemed to be the most appropriate 
solution, this proposal that has come forward. Moving on from the, the cemetery and the, the proposal itself, what is expected to be the next phase in the, the proposal? What happens now that the, the consultation has closed recently? Where do we go from here now, Connor? Once the date is closed, we have to collate all the submissions. So we get submissions by some people by phone, mail, letter. Uh, we get them through emails and then obviously the online portal. Mm-hmm. So we have to sit down now and, and review all the submissions and we categorize them into similar themes and summarize them into a report for the members. So then we, we have to brief the elected members and it, it's put the part eight, which is the plan, the statutory planning report is put in front of the members. Uh, and then we make a recommendation on whether to proceed and the members can they they have ultimately have the decision on it and they can choose to accept, reject or accept it with amendments. So there'll be a debate at, at a full council meeting in terms of when. I, I don't think it'll be this year. Yeah, we've gotten quite a lot of submissions. So I, I suspect it'll be early next year before we get back to a council meeting. And this by no means is the, the end of it. It does go, like you said, it does go to the members. We have to review everything that comes into us. We... Do we analyse all the feedback that we get? Anyone that has made these submissions, it doesn't go into a black hole. They're all read, they're all analysed, they're all grouped together and assessed. And they do impact the decision we make as a council as a whole that is brought to the, the members to vote on. And they would then either give it their approval or approval with an asterisk. And we may have to go back to the drawing board again and change something else. Is that the case? That's correct. Yeah, I suppose if uh, of those three options, if they approved it, obviously we would then proceed to detailed design and construction. If they approve it with amendments, I suppose it would depend what the amendments are. Or if, if this scheme is rejected, then obviously it's back to the drawing board to see, like we still have to find a solution. So then I don't know where that leaves us in terms of what the next step would be. So that is all ahead of us. If we assumed a positive outcome at the part eight, detailed design and tender for contractor usually takes about six, seven months. So if there was a positive outcome at the meeting, then, you know, there's a good chance the scheme would be on site next year. If not, it could take a number of years. But I suppose they, oh, wow. because it's so strategically important, you know, we still have to find a solution here. It's not a case that we just stop. And give up on it. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. I mean, there are, you know, in some areas, there are schemes that maybe you could wait until other things change or you could reprioritize them. But in this case, because we've built all of the other infrastructure on the other two sections of the route, so everything is completed bar Dean's Granger Road. So this is the one that has to be done. And at the moment, until it's completed, it's leaving, you know, essentially a black hole in the middle of the routes that you couldn't encourage anybody to use them because they wouldn't be safe enough. Yeah, we'd be contradicting ourselves by promoting the entire route with this gap in the the middle that wasn't safe i'd say you're 15 years in the the council connor i'd say this is probably one of the more convoluted projects you've been involved in in your time here is it yeah like projects get setbacks and you know sometimes you 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 reach a solution it's not the right one and you have to go back so in terms of engineering it's not unusual to have an iteration of a scheme i suppose this one is maybe the first one that it's been mm. so publicly contentious that it seems to be any solution is unacceptable. And I suppose that's really where the challenge lies to try and find a route through this kind of difficult political and public discourse to try and find something that would deliver what the policy objectives are, that are set down requires to deliver. And I suppose that's where the challenge is. And I suppose that's, I would hope that we'd be able to get, you know, a solution in the short term that would allow the route to be completed and we can see you know the benefits of that in terms of modal shift and it's almost this small little stretch seems to just be 
the perfect storm of different stakeholders because we have businesses uh, that aren't happy with one solution, residents that don't approve of another. There's the emotional attachment that people have to the cemetery as well with thousands of loved ones there. And I think it's important for us to reiterate that we're not looking to alter or interfere with the cemetery in any way. Access will be improved for those who do visit. It's not restricted to just those who use active travel. It's anyone who wants to visit the the cemetery. These gates will also be open. The path is already there for them. It's still available 24 hours a day. It's the, the, the primary concern here is the safety of cyclists to engage and uphold that high standard that we have across the other the rest of the remainder of the the infrastructure that we have across the county that you've introduced over the last couple of years on the active travel team it's an important point to note obviously any benefit to the cemetery in terms of infrastructure benefits anybody that's visiting whether they're there to to mourn the loved one or to you know, walk through or to go to school or even for leisure purposes. I mean, any any investment in the cemetery is positive. The the proposed improvements yep. to the entrances would obviously uh, resolve some issues that people have with, you know, trying two cars can't pass through the existing gates. So it would deal with a lot of those other issues as well that would benefit everybody. And I suppose that is that that should be welcomed. Any any kind of investment that we can secure for the cemetery that might not also be there otherwise. There are huge benefits to be gained from the this plan and the proposal when it's complete. It's just a matter of time that something will be done. It's just finding what that something will be. And at the moment, yeah. this seems to be that, that something. Yeah, I suppose that's the current plan that's on the table. And we do have yeah. to find a solution. So I would hope it was this one, because I think it's the one that deals with the concerns, or the majority of the concerns that people have. If not, we'll have to go back and try and find another solution, but a solution does have to be found. I suppose that's maybe the, the, the tricky bit of it because we're kind of into the business end of the delivering a cycle network. So there are no quick wins left to be won. You know, there's no easy delivery schemes. Any, any new projects will require a reallocation of road space. And I suppose that's where the difficulty lies, that once you, once you take from one mode to give to another, yeah. it's going to be contentious. Yeah, the, the low-hanging fruit, the easy wins that we had at the start, they've all been, we've won all of those now at this stage. So we do have just this this one last one. Yeah. I think that that's it from me, Connor. Unless, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we, we finish up? I don't think so, Carl. Just thank you for having me and uh, hopefully people find it useful. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Fingers crossed people do learn something from it. Thanks a million for taking the time out to join me today, Connor. No problem. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for listening to this episode of Insight. Thanks also to Connor for taking time out of his day to chat to me about active travel and the many projects he's involved in that are aimed at making active travel safer for everyone in the county. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and let people know about our podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we upload new episodes regularly. For all the latest updates from the Council, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also visit our website and subscribe to the DLR Times at dlrcoco.ie. That's all for today. I hope you found it insightful.